Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just want to encourage you also to be praying. Just keep the Belize people in your prayers throughout the week. Has anybody been watching the, uh, are they Instagram stories or what? Facebook stories? Has anybody been watching those? You can keep up on those. I don't know, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to do the, the link and all that. Maybe talk to... Um, who, who should we talk to? Someone younger that has Facebook will help you. I can't help you. Um, but some great reports about what God is doing in Belize. Uh, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start in verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Uh, I'm reading the New King James, by the way. Yours may be different. ESV, NIV. Uh, but uh, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God, the Christian that is, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead it is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be faithful, or excuse me, watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds, uh, that he would uh, literally bend our, our wills, Lord, to submit to your word. We ask that he would inflame our hearts to embrace your word. And we ask, Lord, that through the uh, hearing of your word today, uh, we would be changed. We would hear, but we would not just hear, but we would hear and we would do. We would hear we would receive, we would believe your word. We thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of your scriptures that reveals to us Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Now, if I were to ask you what's more important, God or the Bible, what would you say? You'd want to say God, right? Of course. But the Bible itself says... The psalmist says to God, you have magnified your word above all of your name. If I were to ask you, what's more important, Jesus or the Bible? 
what would you, what would you want to say? Well, you want to say Jesus, right? But Jesus says that the words that I speak to you, these are words of spirit and they are life. He says, my words are life. Well, of course, these are really false dichotomies. False dichotomies. One author said this, he said, one of the most significant of all themes to the Christian is that of the inspiration and authority of the Bible. The truths concerning God, Christ, and salvation are surely of supreme importance. Amen? But, this is the key point, but how can we get to know these truths if it is not by means of the Scriptures themselves? In this sense, in this sense, one might say that the inspiration of the Scripture is the first dogma or doctrine of all. If the Scriptures are truly of God, clothed with His authority and put entirely within the reach of man, all revealed religion has a solid foundation on which to stand. If, on the other hand, inspiration is uncertain, partial, or varying according to the experience and opinion of the reader or preacher, everything totters. So, to know the true God, we must know his word. To believe in Jesus, we must know his word. The question is, where is that word? It's in the Holy Scriptures or the sacred writings, which today we call the Bible. And today in our text here in Timothy, uh, we're going to look at two things. There's actually four things in this passage, but we're going to look at two things, if we have time, uh, regarding the Scripture. The first says that the, scripture, uh, the Scriptures are inspired, or God-breathed, and the second is that they are profitable. Look at chapter 2 Timothy 3 again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the first assertion. The second assertion is that these same scriptures are profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, etc. So they are inspired and they are profitable. So I'd like to look at these two points today if we have time. We'll see how far we get. Um, sometimes, uh, now that I'm getting older, I, I do ramble sometimes. Oh, I've been doing that for years, right? Yeah, you, yeah. Okay. The first assertion by Paul is that the scriptures are inspired. Now, we have to, the first thing we have to do is identify the word scripture. What, is, what does he mean by scripture? When he says all scripture are inspired, what is he referring to? Well, he, he tells us here in verse 15 that Timothy from childhood has known the holy scriptures or sacred writings that could be translated from his childhood. Well, clearly Paul is referring to the, what we would call the Old Testament canon the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. Now, so at the time that, that Paul was writing, the, the I don't want to say the only, because I want to try to explain this in a minute, but the primary scripture was obviously the Old Testament Bible, right? Now, if you were paying attention a few weeks ago when I spoke about Jesus and the Bible, Jesus believed the Old Testament scriptures were inspired. He asserted it over and over in his ministry. Though, that was the book. That was the Bible, the sacred writings, the oracles of God, they're called, uh, that 
the Jews believed in, that Jesus believed in, that the apostles believed in, that they came from God. Well, um, so when Paul says to Timothy, you've known from childhood the sacred writings, primarily he's probably referring to that. Now I say primarily because some of the Gospels actually came into existence very early in church history. In other words, some of the Gospels could have been circulating when Timothy was in his 30s, possibly. So we don't know exactly if, if Paul might have been hinting also at some of the New Testament Scripture or not, but clearly the Old Testament Scriptures he has in mind. So just by making the statement, which is kind of in passing, he's, really, he's, he's, he's saying the Old, the Old Testament's inspired. Um. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, we also looked at the fact that Jesus promised the apostles the, the, the superintendence of the Holy Spirit in, in, the, in the writing of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the writers themselves often assert their own inspiration. Paul says to Corinthians, this is one example. He says, the things that I write to you, they are the commandments of the Lord. Well, that's a, that's a claim to inspiration. I'm, in other words, I'm telling you the mind of God. Um, and there, there are other examples like this in the New Testament. We won't take the time to look at them. But uh, primarily the Old Testament, but as we understand today, the, the scriptures include not only the Old Testament, but also what we call the New. The Gospels, the Epistles, Revelation. So the canon, it's called, is a, is a specific set of books. There, there are no more books to be added. There are no books to be taken away. These are the inspired oracles of God. Amen? But what do we mean when we, when we use the word inspiration? Now, I think you know, if you've been around Christian circles for any length like of time, you know that the, the literal word here simply means God breathed. God breathed. So inspiration is the idea of God breathing in, right? But of course, to breathe in, he's got to breathe out. Kind of given CPR, right? If you're going to give somebody air, you've got to give them your air. God breathes out, but as he breathes out his word, he's breathing out his word into a vehicle who then will communicate that word. Now, we have occasions in the Old Testament where God just speaks. He, come, you know, he speaks in a cloud. Boom, you know. His voice comes from heaven. Those are very rare. Usually what God does is God speaks to someone, a prophet, and then that person in turn communicates to the people God's word. So God speaks or breathes out his word, and then that word is received, and then that word is transmitted to us through a person who's inspired. So he breathes out, but in another sense he's breathing in to someone. He is inspiring them, if you will, okay? So what this tells us is that the scriptures have their origin in God. He is the author of the scripture. So the, the scriptures are not a book of religious writings like uh, the Quran or the uh, uh, Vedas or some of the other religious texts in the world. Um, the scriptures are a, a record of divine communication. So God is the author of the scripture. 
But it also means that when God um, communicated, and this is a critical point because I think, I think there's a lot of confusion when people talk about this and write about this topic. I'll put it in the form of a question. What's inspired? The prophet or, or the word that the prophet speaks? Some people say, we'll try, to, we'll try to say one's inspired and not the other. So the individual's inspired, but the result of what they commit, so God breathes in, and in that sense they're inspired, but when they breathe out, the result isn't inspired. Because it's gone through, it's been transmitted through the vehicle of their humanity. But the, the biblical doctrine of, of inspiration is actually not just that God speaks to a prophet, if you will, a spokesperson, but that God speaks through them. Meaning that what's happening, what God did with the scripture is that God not only gave the word, but that God uh, guaranteed that the communication of the word, of the message he was giving, uh, was accurate to the mind of God. In other words, what the prophets spoke, what the apostles spoke or what they wrote, these were um, consistent with the mind of God. They are what God wanted communicated. Are you following me? So in other words, not only is the individual like inspired in the sense of, you know, they're having some religious uh, mystical experience, but the result of God's activity is that the product, the writing that is left, the writing is inspired. It's not just that they were inspired and they gave us a, a religious document of sorts. An inspired person gave us an inspired book. You follow me? And inspiration isn't just God breathing in. Inspiration is the entire process by which God guarantees an accurate communication of his mind and his word. That's the key. That's really what inspiration is. It's the superintendence or, guide, or guiding of God so that what he once said is said. What he once communicated, it is communicated in his name. Are you hearing me? That's really what inspiration is. Now, the Bible doesn't uh, give us a, a, a clear definition of the mechanics of inspiration. Sometimes in the Old Testament, prophets got dreams. Sometimes they got visions. Sometimes it just says the word of the Lord came. Or sometimes it says, I saw the word of the Lord. How do you see a word? Um, so the mechanics aren't always clear. And the mechanics are not the same in every case, especially the Old Covenant versus the New. But the result is what's important. The result is that God superintended the, 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 the process so that what we have is a record of the divine mind. The divine mind. Not what somebody thought about God, but what God thought. You hearing, you hearing me? So... Inspiration means that the message or the truths that are given were truly spoken or recorded as God required and as God desired. The Bible is not God's ideas in men's words, but God's thoughts in God's words. 
Now, it's true. God uses human vessels, right? And so you can read Paul's epistles and then read John's. You're like, those are very different. Or you can read Psalms and then go read, uh, the, read Moses. And you're like, well, that, that's very different. And so God doesn't obliterate the human personality. He uses the human personality to communicate a portion of his truth. It's like a symphony. If you want a symphony, you don't make all of the instruments sound like a violin, right? You want them different. You want violins and violas and cellos, and you want the different instruments because they all contribute to the symphony, the harmony, the beauty of the message. So that's what we have in Scripture. We have the, the violins and cellos, and we have the trombones, we have, the, we have all of these things in Scripture, different voices, but all with a consistent message regarding God. Why is it consistent? Because it, the, each book has the same author, the same divine author. And so God, if you will, plays his tune through Paul, or he plays his tune through John, or through Moses, or through David, and you get a different sound, but you don't get a different message. You don't get conflicting truths. So, inspiration then means that God not only revealed certain things, that's the doctrine of revelation, not the doctrine of inspiration. Not only that God revealed things that man could not know, but that he also superintended and guided the recording of these things, these truths, so as to guarantee their accuracy. That's inspiration. So, in one sense, we can say the human authors were inspired. In another sense, we say that the writings themselves are inspired, right? Because the, the result of the inspiring of the person was the message, and thus the message is inspired. Now, you probably think you're splitting hairs, but in reality, when you read various, uh, especially modern theologians, they'll talk about, well, the Bible isn't the Word of God. The Bible contains the Word of God. And they'll make other such statements like this. And what happens is that you get a, a diluting of uh, the, the scriptures in the process. You get a devaluing of the scriptures in the process. So if I say the Bible contains the word of God, well, the implication is the Bible might also contain portions that are not the word of God. Right? And that's exactly what we're seeing more and more in the evangelical church today is, is a view of scripture which at best would be called a partial inspiration view, where, where parts of the Bible are considered inspired and parts are not inspired. Uh, we're going to come back to Timothy, but uh, look at 1 Peter. I meant 2 Peter, sorry. Verse 16 of chapter 1, 2 Peter. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard the voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration account in the Gospels, right? It's in Matthew 17 and it's, in the, uh, it's also in Luke and Mark, I believe. He says, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now, your version might read different. 
We have the prophetic word confirmed, or this word in my version, which is translated confirmed, is really an interesting word. I was studying it the other night. Because it can mean uh, assured, sure, confirmed, foundational. And so we could translate this, we have a, we have a sure prophetic word. Or we have a confirmed prophetic word. Or we have an established and solid prophetic word. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Now my, your version may be different. Because this could also be translated, no scriptures of any private origin. Or no individual origin. In other words, the prophetic word did not originate with the prophet. The prophetic word did not originate with the speaker. Well, where, how, where did this word originate? Well, he tells us in the next verse. For prophecy never came by the will of man. The prophetic word was not, was not the individual prophet stirring up some gift to get, to get a revelation. But holy men of God were spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved here is literally borne along. It's the word used for a wind blowing in the sails of a ship. So the, when, when, the, when we got the prophetic word in here, uh, primarily again referring to the Old Testament, but he, he's, he's telling us that this word of God did not have its origin in men and in the will of men, but had its origin in the will of God. That God is the one who bore them along. God was the one influencing and moving them to speak, to write, and record the things that are given to us. So, in, as I said, in one sense, the, the speaker was inspired. In another sense, the result of what they spoke is inspired. But the result is this, is that the, the truths and the words that we have are inspired by God and they, therefore they result in a sure, confirmed, solid, guaranteed word. Doesn't anybody want to say amen to that? A solid word. A word that is true, a word that is accurate, and a, and a word, therefore, which is inerrant. Now, the next thing we need to, to mention about Scripture, when Paul says that all Scripture is inspired, go back to 2 Timothy, if you will, when he says in verse uh, 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word all, it's the word all, every, Right? So, when Paul says that all scripture or every scripture is inspired, he means all of the books or all of the portions, if you will, of scripture, and thus all of the words, and thus all of the truths. Now, you might be thinking, I knew this. Why did I get up at, uh, early on a Sunday morning to hear this? Because one of the common attacks on the scripture is what's called the partial inspiration view. And this is making a comeback today in evangelical circles. Uh, this is the notion that the Bible's inspired about some things. Some things the Bible talks about are true. Other things the Bible talks about are not true. And, and the, 
the common division that people make. When the Bible addresses something spiritual, it's true. But when the Bible addresses something regarding history or science, yeah, it might be true, it might not be true. But that doesn't matter. What matters is only the spiritual truth. So we get that view. But then we get the, the, the notion that some portions of, of Scripture, because of their cultural conditioning, are not true. Now, it's obvious the Bible is culturally conditioned, right? That's obvious. That's why you have to study it. You've got to learn about the culture. and you know. Uh, but what, hap- what, is, what we see often happening is they'll say, well, you know, Paul said this because of his culture. In other words, Paul, you listening? I'll only take a few more minutes. Paul is at odds with God. In other words, Paul was more influenced by his culture than Paul was influenced by the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying isn't inspired. That was just Paul. We see this in the whole realm of sexual morality now, where portions of the New Testament, not to even, you don't even have to look at the old, of the New Testament are, are, are explained away by the cultural conditioning view. So, yes, Paul said it, and yes, he meant this, but the problem was Paul. <laughs> and so, uh, do you believe the Bible is inspired? Sure, but Paul was wrong. That's the partial inspiration view. Um, I believe the scripture itself teaches, as Paul says here, every scripture is inspired by God. Not some of it, but all of it. Therefore, there, there is not a partial inspiration. There's not, um, you know, good places and bad places, correct places and erroneous places. As I've commented many times, there's really no such thing as a red-letter Bible. Now, you know, we all kind of giggle, right? <clears throat> but there's a theological issue at stake here, and it's very important. In the past couple weeks, I've heard three different evangelical leaders, meaning very influential people, I've heard three of them say, basically, what they were saying is, I believe, I believe Jesus, but not necessarily the rest of the Bible. Now, they didn't put it that bluntly, although one of them said, we need to unhitch Jesus from the Old Testament. That's a literal quote. I almost thought of playing the YouTube, but I don't want to make it about the people who said it. I want to make it about the argument. We need to unhitch Jesus from the Old Testament. <clears throat> another, another leader said, basically, if, if Jesus didn't say it, then I don't have to believe it. Now, this is very seductive. It's very attractive for a Christian. Because you can, you can say, hey, I'm going to be a true Jesus follower. I'm the radical Jesus follower. I'm the Jesus only. The Jesus only. Jesus first. Jesus, 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 right? Well, who doesn't want more of Jesus, amen? More of Jesus, more of Jesus. Um, the problem is, no matter what we're discussing, if you can take a truth, but if you overemphasize the truth, it can become a source of error. Hearing me? Let's just take the Trinity, simple doctrine. All right, simple. Let's just pick a simple one, the Trinity. The Bible clearly says Jesus is God. I mean, it's over and over. Jesus claimed to be God. You look at me, you've seen the Father, right? right. So I believe Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus is God, amen? amen? Jesus is God, amen? amen? Well, does that mean the Holy Spirit's not God? Well, and so you can, you can take the truth and pound it, pound it, pound it, and the result is, well, Jesus is God, but, you know, and we have this oneness theology out there. And it's all in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus, 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 therefore no trinity. You can take any truth in Scripture, and if it's not put in the context of the other truths in Scripture, that truth can become a form of error. So, we read our Bibles, and we, and, and, and we read the red letters of Jesus. There's even a, a, a movement, red letter Christianity out there now. They're going to be the true followers of Jesus. As if the words of Jesus were more inspired than the other parts of Scripture. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to realize how problematic that gets. You know what I'm saying? Are you pitting the Father against the Son? Are you saying when God spoke, eh, I might listen to that. But when Jesus speaks, yeah, I'm going to listen to that. Are we pitting the Son against the Holy Spirit? Are we pitting Paul against uh, John or John against David or David against Moses? I mean, what's going on here? The words of Jesus are important, amen? Amen. But the words of the Father are important, amen? Amen. The words of the Spirit are important. Amen? In other words, every scripture is inspired. Moses was inspired. The prophets were inspired. David was inspired. Go down the line. Every scripture is inspired. This is not a denigration of Jesus. This is honoring Jesus. Because that's what Jesus taught. That's what's so bizarre about the Jesus-only mentality. I'm going to follow Jesus only. If I can't find it in the Gospels, heck, Jesus only. Jesus himself honored the Old Testament. It's astounding. Astounding. I mean, look, look at Psalm 40. We'll, we'll go to the Gospel in a minute. But, but look at Psalm 40. This is a messianic psalm. This is a prophetic psalm. And, and Jesus, Jesus is speaking. By the way, if you don't know this, Jesus is speaking in some of the psalms. Verse 6. And this is, by the way, quoted in Hebrews in reference to Jesus. It says in Hebrews, Jesus is saying this. Okay? Sacrifice and offering. Jesus speaking to God. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. What scroll? The Old Testament. As it's translated in in Hebrews, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jesus is saying, I'm coming, I'm going to be, God's made a body, I'm going to be incarnated, and in this incarnation will be a revelation of what the scroll has said about me. The Old Testament. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. 
Luke 24, Jesus couldn't be any more plain about his attitude, or should I say, not only his attitude, his relationship to the Old Covenant. In Luke chapter 24, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission. You all there? In verse 44, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Moses is writing about me. The prophets are writing about me. The psalmists are writing about me. How then can we take the Gospels and exalt them above the rest of the Scripture? We cannot even understand the Jesus of the Gospels without the Old Testament and all that it prophesied regarding Messiah. And he opened their understanding, verse 45, that they might comprehend the Scripture. He opened their understanding that they could comprehend Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and to show them they were concerning him, Jesus. We can't know the Jesus of the Gospels if we don't know the Jesus of the Old Testament or the Jesus even of the New Testament epistles. It's all one word, if you will. Because every scripture, or all scripture, is inspired by God. Now, it is true that some truths, some revelations, some doctrines, if you will, are more important than others. I think that's, we'd all admit that, right? Some things in the Bible don't seem that important. But, they're not more inspired than others. And that's the important distinction. Yes, you could argue there's a hierarchy of, of doctrinal importance. Some things are fundamental. They're just, you gotta you got embrace them or you're, not, you're just not in the fold, right? I get that. But that doesn't mean that the lesser doctrines, if you want to call them, doesn't mean they're lesser inspired. They're all inspired. They just all have their place in the body of Scripture in, or in the body of, of systematic doctrine. All scriptures inspire this. All of it is to be embraced by faith. All of it. Not some of it. But all of it. And Paul says the reason is, is that it is all profitable. Now, I think I'm going to hold off on this because I'm out of time. I don't want to go long. I'd rather go short than long. Um, but I will say this. Go back to Timothy and uh, we'll dig into Timothy more next week. But I want you to notice the occasion of this, this teaching that Paul... Now, Paul's old. He's, he's uh, ready. He's, he's believing pretty much that he's going to be executed here. Okay, and he says in chapter 4, in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That, the idea of a drink offering, of course, is a sacrifice. And the time of my departure is at hand, meaning his death. I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Um, so the, this, the, you know, Paul's giving Timothy his parting words here, his parting instruction, because Timothy's one of the leaders, if not the leader of the church, next to James, at this time. Okay? And he's stressing to him the importance of the Scripture before he leaves. The importance of the Scripture. 
Why? Because it is the foundation of everything else we believe. Everything else we believe. Paul saw not only what was coming, but he saw, even in his own day, those who were turning away. He says here in chapter 4, after he says to Timothy to preach the word, he says in verse 3 of chapter 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is a perennial danger for all of us. Okay? To turn our ears away from the Scripture. And it's striking here that Paul says that they're turning their ears away because they itch. Now, I'm going to tell you something personal about me that's really weird. Okay, you want to... Okay. When I go to bed at night, right before I fall asleep, I start to itch. Like, that's weird. My head will itch. Like, itch. My face will itch. I don't itch during the day at all. So I tell my doctor something. Okay, he's going to put me in an asylum or something. This sounds really weird. Like, I itch when I go to sleep. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. People have it all the time. No, 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 take this. It'll be fine. Really? People have that? I thought I was going crazy. Man, when you itch, you know what you got to do with that itch? Oh, it's just so hard not to scratch an itch, isn't it? Did you ever have the measles? No? I did when I was a kid. Did you ever have a rash you're not supposed to scratch? Or you have when you scratch, and the more you scratch, the worse it gets, right? The problem Paul was addressing is that people had itching ears. I'm not literally, right? But they wanted, uh, I think the, the King James might say, say itching or tickling. The idea is, is that they, they just had to hear something new. They've got to hear something different. They, 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 they've got to, you know, it's got to be exciting. It's got to be radical. It's got to be revolutionary. It's got to be, it's got to be, you know. And man, when you're itching, it's hard not to scratch. But Paul says here that this itching is, he says, according in verse three, according to their own desire. In other words, this is not a condition that befalls them. It is a condition that they are producing. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. In other words, their ears itched because their heart was straying. That's the problem. Ultimately, when you, when you dig deep enough, you find that behind false doctrine is a false heart. It is our nature, and I'm including myself, I'm not above anybody, okay? so don't hear this as a judgmental statement. It's about me as well as you. Our hearts want to believe certain things are true, and our hearts want to believe certain things are false, whether they are or not. We want to believe certain things because why? Because we want to believe them. That's why, and there's no other reason. Other things we don't want to believe. Why? Because we don't like 
them, and that's our reason. And that's why you, sometimes you're trying to talk structure to somebody, you get this inane response, well, that's your interpretation. Well, it says Jesus walked on the water. Well, that's your interpretation. Well, it says Jesus walked Well, that's your interpretation. Okay, I, I, I mean, what do you say? At some point, what do you say? The problem is the heart. The heart. The heart causes this ear condition where you itch. Got to have something new. So Got to have something exciting. You got to have something different. Go to Mark 4 and we're going to close. The, in Mark 4, we have the, the parable, which is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the, the sower and the seed. But I like Mark's version a lot because several times in this passage, this chapter, Jesus makes this statement. Look at, look at Mark 4, 8. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now notice this in verse 24. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear, or it could be translated, how you hear. Take heed how you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Forever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. Then it goes on to verse 33. And it tells us Jesus in his ministry, it says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. This chapter four is all about hearing. Okay? Jesus gives the parable, the sower and the seed. There's only one sower. There's only one seed. But there's four different results. Why? Because the condition of the soil. The soil determined whether or not the crop grew, not the seed. You can go somewhere and you can preach the word, preach the gospel, and everybody there can reject it. It does not change at all the truth of the word. It is totally irrelevant how someone responds to the word. The problem is how we hear the word. The problem is not the word. And we have to understand something, and I'll close with this. If you read the Bible and you expect it always to be good news, you're going to be disappointed. If you read the Bible and always expect it to be a word of comfort, you'll be disappointed. When Paul describes the word here in Timothy, he says the word is for correction. It is for reproof. He doesn't even say it's for comfort. Now, we know from other texts it is for comfort, right? But in this context, that's, they didn't want to emphasize that because that wasn't what was needed. When we read the word, listen, if you're reading the word awake, a couple doses of caffeine in you, this word will pierce your heart. This word will convict you. This word will trouble you. It should. And if it doesn't, you're not reading the word. I mean, do we really think that a revelation from God would just be like, yeah, reading the newspaper? No, it's not like that. God reveals things that are, this, uh, shock us, they astound us. That he reveals things that trouble us. And so, in, in this, this idea of hearing the word, it's not just an intellectual thing, okay? 
We have to understand the word. This is true. But, but understanding is only part of it. Do you know, do you know that there are, are scholars that understand the word better than many of us, and yet they totally reject it? Why? Because they will not submit their will to the word. Jesus said this, he that wills to do the will of my father, he will know if what I'm saying is true. In other words, the will, not just the intellect, is an organ of knowledge. And our attitude toward truth and our attitude toward the word determines the amount of light that we get from it. So if our attitude is wrong, we don't get light. But if our attitude is right, which means if we have a docile, humble, childlike, reverential attitude toward the word and toward God, then this word becomes light to us. If you recall, after Jesus and Matthew, and I'll close with this, I'm sorry, now I am rambling. When Jesus rebuked the cities that were rejecting him, and he said, it's going to be better, it's going to be better for Solomon and Gomorrah than for you. By the way, that's that nice Jesus. <laughs> then he prays and he says, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise. But who did he reveal them to? Babes. In other words, the innocent, the humble, the docile. The exhortation to Timothy was to preach. But we're not all preachers. The exhortation to us, or the application, is to hear. To hear the word, and to hear all of the word. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, what a precious, precious gift we have in your word. Oh, Lord, I ask you would cause us to appreciate your scripture, not to take them for granted, but like David, that we would hunger and thirst after your word, that we would delight in your word, that we would meditate in your word, that we would study your word, that we'd read your word, that we pray over your word, and that, Lord, that your word, through your spirit, would transform us, that we would be sanctified by your truth. Change, Lord, into your image, that we would honor you and glorify you by that change in our lives. Lord, we agree with you, Jesus, that the word of your Father is truth. We believe it, and we ask the Lord, through your ongoing ministry in our lives, through your Spirit, that you would help us receive it, to receive all of it, because all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.